All right, I'm here with Daniel. We're going to talk about United versus Tottenham. That wasn't awesome, was it, Dan? <laughs> How are you doing? It was. I am all right, thank you. Although I just looked at myself on the screen and I'm wondering if I've got red marks on my nose. Because my, my daughter decided to... What did she call it? Pimp. No, she didn't say pimp, though. The inside of my glasses case. I can't remember what word she used. And so she did it with... In fact, I have it here. This is definitely not me showing off. It looks like this. The red no, felt that she'd use. Just whenever I put my glasses in it, I get, get red. all over your face. No, 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 no. Just red. Red marks here and here. And they're quite hard to remove. And I, I mean, I'm trying to wear my glasses more often because I wear lenses like for hours and hours and pit yeah. eyes made of leather. But it might embarrass me at some point when it's too late. But yeah, so I think I have red marks on my nose there and there. Well, now we, we're recording this in glorious 4K. Everyone will be able to pick it up. Zoom in at super high resolution. Yeah. I mean, anything that distracts from my other, <laughs> from, my, from, from other things that are wrong with me, I guess. So yeah, I'll accept Did- that. Did your daughter also buy that shirt for you, Mr. Happy? This was actually bought for me by my wife. Was Which, it ironic? Or? No, no, I, I I, guess. like probably doesn't come across that well on podcasts <laughs> such as this. But I guess I am one of those annoying dickheads in many ways who doesn't have moods. I'm not really, I'm not really into that. And so I, yeah, I can be nauseatingly upbeat. A lot of time. Very good. Yeah. Are you feeling um, feeling nauseatingly upbeat about United's defeat at Spurs? Oh man, I it's funny actually, isn't it? Like this one, this one bothered me for a little while after the final whistle. What about you? Yeah, I mean it was especially that second half just shockingly bad, and reminded us of the bad times that we've seen in the last few years. I think. And, and and for the second week in a row, Garnacho and Anthony were just completely impotent and just seemed to be making bad decisions all over the pitch, which is common for Anthony and less so for, for Garnacho, isn't it? But I think the most worrying thing and the thing that like got me pondering a lot after the game was just how sort of insipid Mount and Casemiro were in, in central midfield and just how easy it was for, for uh, the mighty Basuma and Papa Matasa to out muscle them constantly uh, and yes yeah. <laughs> concerning isn't it for 120 million pounds worth of midfield yeah it was it was a game that we've all seen before you know i'd play quite well at the beginning uh, they don't score something goes wrong and they panic and make no mistake that was panic it wasn't a panic like liverpool away with 7-0 was a panic or city 6-3 was a panic but the way that they played they in the second half, and you could tell Sio Nana the whole time telling them to calm down, just trying hopeful passes, hopeful crosses, hopeful shots, rather than staying patient and trusting the way that, the way that they play. And even though the game had changed, Spurs had got in amongst them more physically, United, so it was more of a contest, whereas in the first yeah. bit of the game, United dominated and Spurs had a few counters. It was a more even game. United was so fucking useless on the ball. And it's not because that is inherently who they are, because we know they're not always like that. But a bit of pressure, and you can see it. Like as they were, we wouldn't score. Then if they scored, that would probably mean the game because Postecoglou's first game in the ground. Plus, what we know about this United team, it just it just felt like it, if they pinched the first goal, then then they would win. And obviously, that yeah. was what happened. 
I mean, you're right, Bait United starting, starting the game all right. They, they weren't that bad for the first 25 minutes or so. I actually got some possession of the ball, and I thought that Ten Hag had made the change that we kind of assumed was necessary after the Wolves game, and, and Mount was positioned more sort of alongside Casemiro to give United an actual pivot in there, double pivot. Uh, and and it's, I guess the question we've like discussed loads, isn't it? What is Mount's role in the team? And if, he, if he's going to play that eight, he has to give him Casemiro some support because he can't do it all alone and it makes him look his age when he's forced to do it all alone but then in the second half as United pushed Casemiro was all alone in midfield again so it's really troubling and I don't know how United fix this in how the squad looks because it's suddenly I'm missing Fred who would have given United a bit of energy (laughs) I I think if we're talking specifically about the midfield it I think Ten Hag has been a little bit unlucky. Because what I think we're going to see now is what we've seen from Ten Hag is he he was good at seeing other people's errors and sorting some of them out. Can he see his own? And is he going to be ruthless with himself? Because I think that, that that's what's going to need to happen. As far as the midfield goes, it feels like they thought that Mania was going to play a proper role as either with Casemiro or or instead of him. And so, ridiculously, the two players who basically haven't played for United getting injured, Hoyland, two your very young players, and Maynou, have made a massive issue at United now, both in the midfield and up front, because they, the same things that were wrong with this team last season are wrong with it now. So, the way that he can fix the midfield, I guess, is if if Maynou, he's, if he sees Maynou as a player who plays as a what we have to call the number six now. And I sort of just don't like myself for saying it every time I say it. And at the same time, language moves on. Why would I not just say it? And do I know sure. more about football within the Dutch people that came up with this? No. Anyway, so if he, if Ibane is going to be a number six, I guess he sees him. I mean, he's desperate for his Frankie, isn't he? And so as the guy who can get the ball off the back four, because he's brilliant at, yeah. move, at turning and moving with it, but he actually also won further up the pitch, making a difference. And let's say Maynard's that player. That would explain why we don't seem to be going to outsign Amrabat because then you've got two players for that position. And what I said about the ridiculousness of being in a position where you have come to rely on Mainu already before he's even played is also it means that you can't buy someone really to go in front of him. If, and if he's that yeah, position, if, you believe in him. If, he's, yeah. if he's Casemiro's successor, it makes very little sense go and now buy someone for that position which perhaps explains why we if we are interested in Gravenberch and Anana maybe that explains that a little bit more because the player that they actually might decide to go and get now is someone who a different kind of midfield player almost to the point where you think if you'd have taken the money that they will spend on that and it looks like they might once they've got some sales done and the amount of money you could have had one of the top players that no, yeah, rivals yeah. seem to be picking up instead. But, yeah, I mean, there's only still, it's only two games. Mount Wall's better. But the balance of the team is right and and they're not fit enough right. also. Well, that's, and it's it's so odd this don't seem quite sharp, given that there were eight preseason games and, and it's beginning to look a little bit like mismanagement of the preseason by giving them all 45 minutes all the time and just constantly rotating through those games. And and the other thing that 
feels really odd and it's just it's just so obvious isn't it it's it's Marcus Rashford up front as a number nine on his own just doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to be comfortable with it and he's also not in a position where he saved us during shit performances so many times last season yeah Um, and and it does and, and did like United not look a little better with Sancho again when he came on? It feels like a live option. I I thought that he would play Sancho in the middle, through the middle in this one, to get Rashford out to the left. And just because Garnacho's quite easily dropped and haven't played well in the previous game, and then you'd have him to come on. All those reasons. Like, yeah, I, I would have played Sancho. But then every time I say stuff like that, I feel, am I really going to let this happen again? Where... Sancho, I, I can't rely on Sancho at any point. So saying that I would play him in any game doesn't make me feel like I've said something particularly sensible because I've been, yeah. we've all been saying it at points because this is what happens when the team aren't good enough. You cycle through the players, persuading your like So one gets in the team and they have a run and it doesn't work. Or then you think, well, let's try this one because you have a lot of players who are not that dissimilar in quality, I guess. And none of them have quite shown themselves to be good enough. And the, the thing about, the, the one of the reasons we needed Hoyland so badly, or, or a striker who's going to score goals so badly, I should say, is because you can't expect Rashford to have the same season that he had last season again. You hope, you hope that he might, but I don't yet believe in his ability to produce at that level consistently. Yeah, well, and, and given the best chance of doing it, which is with the ball in front of him, not coming back into midfield with his back to goal and trying to hold and turn. Not, I think not he should be able to play that position, though. Yeah, sure. Before, I mean, he's just, before we agree, I don't know if it's, yeah, yeah. Before we agree that he is better off the left, I still think he should be able to play centre forward better than he's been playing it in the last couple of the, games. One of the things that Ten Hag did to try and change this game around is the thing he's done quite a few times, and I just I hate it so much, which is where he moves Bruno out wide and now he's got another option there in Mount. He moves Mount to 10 and Bruno out wide and it just seems to... I can believe you did that. It fucks two, <laughs> fuck two positions in one go doing that and I hope he just gets rid of it really quickly and someone on his backroom team says, why would you reduce the creativity of your best creative player for a player who's just not that Mount? So... I, I'm still I'm finding it really hard and I know it's two games in so I'm not going to freak out but I, I just I, I'm like looking at the Mount transfer and going what, why like what is it that we got there exactly that we didn't have is he, is he an upgrade is he an upgrade on Fred I'm going to say it again I'm not sure he is I think I mean this is what you it's not this, this is what you get sometimes maybe as uh, my friend Cal says when you prioritise you prioritise tactics and formation over quality in that he was signed to help to do the pressing and carrying out instructions and shuttling and all that stuff. But bottom line, and we said this at the time, we're going to keep saying it until he proves it otherwise, that he's not physical enough or quite good enough to take this team up a level and to the level that they need to be at to compete with the best because nothing that we've seen so far if you want to if you want to win all the games you need to have more strength you need to be physically bigger than a lot of your opponents united are not and it makes a difference and it, we're seeing it we saw it on the pitch in that second half yesterday we've seen it lots of times before he's not going to make a difference physically and he plays a very similar position to our best player less well 
Yeah. So for him to be not just you to buy him because he's a decent player to have in the squad. I don't mind having him as, as an option. With but I do when money's short. But it's just yeah, it's it, it didn't make that much sense that not only would you buy him, but you you would make him your priority summer signing. Before you get a centre forward and a goalkeeper, you you go and get Mason Mount. Yeah, it it makes more sense if you if you just decided it was expedient. He was suddenly available and like, much in the way they did the Donny Van der Beek deal, which was like he was just there, so they bought him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I. which and maybe that was a similar thing, but the worst thing that could happen is Bruno gets an injury, so you buy someone to replace him. That was what I convinced myself they were doing when they bought Beak. But nothing that's happened since then suggests that, that was that was really true. And so I don't think that's true with Mount either. He's brought to play in this midfield, which isn't looking like it will ever be a midfield. And I mean, one of the things that was really telling was that Wolves got slapped at home by Brighton. Wolves who made us look so dreadful. And obviously there's variance in performance and whatever, but we finished above Brighton last season. We're, we should, we've signed some players. We should be better than them. And you can't compare exactly game to game, but I dare say, I dare say they would show, they, if you watch those two performances together, you'd be thinking, Jesus. And uh, Yeah, well, and, and you'd also be worrying because we've got Forest Arsenal, then Brighton, I think. Is that it? I think it's in that order. And you wouldn't say on the basis of the two performances we've seen so far that you're going to guarantee many points from those games. And then it really would be crisis time if United started getting spanked around by a couple of those teams. So, but that's that's to come. They, yeah, I mean, we know we know that they're better than this. They were better in this game than they were in the last one. I think we can hope that they'll improve in the next one again. Um, I think that, I mean, what might happen is maybe we will get a midfield player this week, which will probably, it is a good one, that would make quite a lot of difference. Um, but I don't think uh, it will be. It won't be that sort of top elite level, will it? So well, No, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be someone who's available, probably not yeah. someone Yeah. Well where Fernandez and Caicedo Rice have gone. So I guess you're you're looking at the next level down of players and there will be players who probably will end up being more or less as good as those. Maybe all of them who you could get for the amount of money that United will be seeking to pay. The question is, given that you've not planned really for, to make this signing, are you going to pick the right one? Or is it just going to be someone else that Tenaf knows? Which I guess brings us to Anthony, who I thought was good last season. Much better than people said he was. He gave the team balance. He, worked, he put in a shift. He yep. scored some important goals, made some goals, didn't hide, would take the ball in any circumstances. And was just Watery, starting yeah. to go on the outside. After we, after the, towards the end of the season, after the Sevilla game, he was he was our best player probably. But in order to be good enough to play for United, next season is going to have to be a lot better. The couple of the games he's played hasn't been, and Ten Hag doesn't seem to really fancy Pelistri exactly or think that he's ready. But every time he comes on the pitch, he offers something. I think. Would you- yeah, he's a busy fucker, isn't he? He, he is at least going to go at a player and run. He's very direct. So I don't think Ten Hag wants to make two players like that. Get you a load of free kicks. He, he would do, yeah. I, I think the disappointing thing with Anthony is I don't ever expect him to be the player he's not. Right? I don't actually expect him to start taking on 
fullbacks and dancing around them because we've seen now across 50 games or something that he's played for United or maybe not that many that he just doesn't do that uh, so I don't expect him to become that player and I think Ten Hag likes one controlling player and one direct player on either side of the pitch and that's all fine I think it's just if you're going to be that player who's the controlling player who gets the ball and, and carries it well and makes the right pass make the right fucking pass because he doesn't do that like, or at least hasn't done that in the last two games. Sorry, I shouldn't. I should say, he's not had a great start to the season. No, and his output does his output does need to improve. So for sure, yeah. And I would be thinking. I mean, I don't know. You always feel it's, I feel, feel a bit silly when I say this stuff because it's only two games. But I'd be wondering if I, whether I should start Pelistri against Forest. It, just also to make a point that there is an alternative to you. I guess Ten Hag like, that's thought he was going to have Mason Greenwood pushing Anthony for this spot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I hate to say it, but here we are. Uh, yeah, Sam, Samuel Luck has, like, wrote this piece for the MEN saying it was poor planning not having players available. I'm like, well, no, they had a plan. It was a fucking shit one, but they had one. <laughs> so. Yes. So, I mean, so now, but there is, police is the only is the only person. I mean, Alad's injured. He can he can play yeah. on the right. So the question is, do you like, do you now keep one of them? And if I was yeah. keeping one of them, I'd be keeping Pulisic because I think he's the one because he's different. different. Yeah, yeah. And physically, although he doesn't, he looks probably as slight as Alad. He feels to be a bit sturdier in terms of how he is on strength on the ball. He's a bit a bit wider, maybe slightly fatter. Us, so I'm not sure that like, he looks. At, he looks a bit harder to knock off the ball for someone who's someone who looks relatively slight. And just, yeah. he goes round the outside. And we're going to have a proper centre-forward, hopefully. He's going to attack near post. And people behind him, who should know to find space behind him, I just, yeah, I'd be I'd be thinking about trying him. Because it's Forrest at home, we should win that game. And uh, Anthony... Should. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that's... Yeah. But, again, I keep saying, yeah, because I know that... You say this to supporters all the time, play ex-young kid. But I think with police shoes, we've seen it on the pitch. So so I'd like to have a look at him at some point. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think we're not going to get is Sancho down the right. He just hasn't wanted to do that, Ten Hag. And, and probably Sancho doesn't particularly want that either. It's not, it's not where he's been most productive throughout his career. Unfortunately, United are overloaded on the left-hand side with quality players and they are not on the right-hand side. So... There will be a square peg round hole, which is why Pelistri is a viable option, isn't he? Just to do something different. So we, we may see some changes against Forrest. I mean, he, did, he didn't make any changes against Spurs after the kind of insipid performance against Wolves. And, and that's fair enough. It's like, go fix the problem you made. I don't know whether that works twice in a row, does it? I, I mean, I agree. I thought he was right not to change the team. I mean, I might have changed one player, as I said, but I totally understood why he didn't. He's not going to. This is the team he wants to start the season, and he's not going to start mucking around with that on the basis of one game that we won. I mean, that makes that made sense. He wants the team to settle. Like, he was never going to take Mount out of the next game, like his big summer signing, who had one bad game that we won. It's never going to happen. And I agree. Well, if you if you believed in it then, you need to believe in it for at least one more game before you go and sign another midfield yeah. player to make up for it. But um, I tell you what, though, felt like he looked pretty bit pissed off at the end of that one. Like 
he ended up looking like a bit like he was not the team made him look a bit silly I think he felt when he was giving the interview Sky started asking proper questions of managers I can't I'm not sure if he's doing them but the, the quality of question that they're getting managers to answer in specificity before and after games is much better this season I mean maybe it's been better for a while but I've noticed it watching this weekend that Tenach was actually made to answer some questions that were sort of critical of him about the balance in midfield where it's not possible for him to get out of it yeah, and that'd be winding him up. He won't be thanking the players for that. Um, Although I do, he is he's he does like to get into it though. He's a he's a guy who I, I get the sense that just lives and breathes football twenty four seven. And and when he is asked that kind of question, he does he doesn't just like bat it away. He does talk. Uh, he's quite happy to talk tactics. They they do a thing on their NBC as well where they have the kind of pitch side after everything sort of died down half an hour after the game type thing which I think works pretty well in terms of like the emotion has gone a little bit and then they can get into some depth about it and it's not kind of hysterical and it's not the boring how do you feel question which is the one everyone was trained to ask ask for 30 years of football coverage so is so, these available I don't. Yeah, they must I be. I feel like these yeah. would be these, these. These would be good to see because it's, it is. I mean, the nature of an English press conference is that answers answers tend to be short. The interviews that Sky doing at the moment they they are improving because they've realised that they've got up their game because the way people talk about the game and think about the game is different. It's moved on. Yeah, it moved on without Sky. Basically, it moved on. Like Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were doing their thing. But the free availability of tactics talk and data and the vernacular of the game and the democratisation of that via social media means that the way that people talk about the game now relative to how they talked about it even five years ago has changed massively. Yeah, and and managers talk about it more openly. I mean, Serena Wigman after the, the Women's World Cup final used the word press about 57 times in her in her few answers, which is like, I think, gave away exactly where it went wrong for England at both sides of the pitch. But so, so managers will engage with that kind of language as well in, in a way they didn't. Or maybe it's the questions are, are better and being asked that way. But I, I do agree. I mean, we have so much access to data and and like analysis now that the, the casual fan has changed. And I see less sort of making fun of the kind of stats nerds type talk. Although I'm sure Sean Dyche will pull out an interview at some point in the season in which he rubbishes all of that. But he'll, he'll have guys. <laughs> of course, <laughs> Not he'll have a whole team. Every, every, everyone, and, and it's football's becoming, I was, is, this, is football becoming increasingly systemised because of the data, do you think? Specifically because of the data? Yeah, well, I, I think the data is a big indicator and they have the training data and now they're throwing up the drones, aren't they, to to be able to watch training and, and not in a kind of spy sense, they're filming, filming themselves from above in order to look at shape. So I think the data sources are, are many. Um, there are now sort of new AI tools coming on board, which means that you don't have to have people. I mean, it's still actually most of the data sources are people clicking past forward, past sideways, completed, not completed on buttons, but increasingly it's automated. So yeah, this is giving loads of new tools to coaching teams at all kinds of levels. 
so I do think that's that's part of it. I mean, and and then the other part, the systemization part, is that academies are pretty identical now because of the elite player performance plan. So everybody is producing the same sort of players, which which may or may not be helping the game. I, I think so. We see a reduction in some kinds of players, but they're doing that across men's and women's game. The thing of football, because it's always kind of resisted the key, the really key piece of data football sort of doesn't give up because in individual sports the numbers are there so money ball was not had to be thought of but like in terms of working it where it's, it's just there because you it's just you it's an individual sport it's a team sport played by individual individual battles but football is how you fit into the whole is something that nothing will ever be able to measure that because even even if you were you were able to, there's people the people and how they mesh as just individuals in the same hole is is you can't predict. And you well, can't. that's right. So what what do what do the what do the numbers show you? The data will show you like all the actions. So when you've got the ball and when you've not got the ball. So was it a defensive action? Was it a pass forward? Was it a shot? Was it completed? Was it not completed? So on. Right, all the actions. And they don't show you the thing, which is the thing that the coaches spend all their time talking about, which is where you should be on the pitch in any particular phase of play uh, in relation to the rest of your teammates. So there's 10 other moving parts in which you've got to fit at any stage of play. And some and some coaches are insanely nerdy. Rafa Benitez famously nerdy about this one. You had to be exactly 3.49 metres from this player when the throw-in was on the left side. Yeah, and they... <laughs> They split the field up into however many zones in order to to do that. So it's, yeah, I mean, and all of this is available because all these coaching courses are out there and they're downloadable online if you really care about it as well. So the average punter can go off and learn all this stuff if they want. Yeah, because I guess you're looking at the managers who are at the top now and it is managers who are really not, who are particularly into this kind of, Thing. I mean, I, I, and I hate to say it, but Eddie Howe is one. It's not the only one. Re- like, the only one with like that kind of charisma, like is Klopp amongst the ones that have been succeeding. It's Arteta, who, and everyone will have something. Obviously, Arteta Guardiola, I guess, has that kind of mad genius thing going on. Arteta and uh, and, and Eddie Howe are doing brilliant jobs in a way that are sort of my traditional understanding of how leadership works means that you need to have more than they seem to have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're technocrats. They feel like technocrats, the both of them. And so does Ten Hag, doesn't he? So I I guess maybe the reason, I mean, maybe the reason they can get over the lack of charisma is just that the players need them more than they need the players at this point. Yeah. So Arteta's given brought all the players at Arsenal now, either Arteta's pretty much either brought them through or bore them. So until it goes wrong, they love him. Um, and then Eddie Howe at Newcastle suddenly holds the purse strings to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> He's someone's probably worth listening to. And so he, he was literally, I, I, I couldn't help but die laughing at this one. He was literally asked about Saudi Arabia going to play at St. James's Park and his answer was I kid you not I haven't really thought about it 
which is his answer to, have you thought about people being beheaded or should you go to oh. prison for 45 years for tweeting? So, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, that aside, like, he's obviously he's doing a brilliant job. I mean, Newcastle have just stormed out this season in the, in the way that they did last season. I mean, obviously they lost to City, but you can see that they're going to be a problem. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. And I think what we've seen in these first two games, probably, unless things change a lot, is that the kind of season definitely that I was hoping for was, I hope I know we're not good enough to win the league. I know I predicted us to win the league because, yeah, I refuse to do anything other than that. But in that, we're not good enough to win the league, but I'd hope we might stay in touch for a bit and actually be involved in the week-to-week of the title rather than I hope we can get into the top four again. I guess even at this point, that looks that looks un- un- unlikely. Well, while we're here... Yeah, it's one defeat, but yes, the performances are so bad that it doesn't give you a lot of confidence, does it? It's not. I think things will improve. It's just how quickly they can be improved. By the time, by the time Hoyland's settled and by the time Mayu's back, if that's what it's going to take, if that's the manager's plan for what it's going to take, we're not going to be... In, we're going to be too far off the teams at the top. It's going to be what, a month, six weeks from now? Yeah. So the, the interesting stuff will be around us. Like, I mean, Chelsea lost today at West Ham. Well done, Moisey, with 10 men. So how, how they manage to mesh. What happens with Liverpool? Chelsea are going to struggle to score goals. Um, yeah, they... it's, it's still... I mean, I do like to look at Nicholas Jackson, but they managed to smother him in the end, didn't they? I had a terrible day today where I felt like I was saying and thinking the same things as Jamie Redknapp in exactly the same lingo. Like, I think <laughs> I said in my, I did the blog and I think I said that Nicholas Jackson wasn't the killer. And then, You're a top, Jamie, top, top, then, top pundit. And then, yeah. and then Jamie Redknapp said it. And then I was right. I definitely, definitely wrote that a serious centre forward is not Enzo Fernandez pulls up that penalty. And then yeah. Jamie Redknapp was saying it and I was just thinking... I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You've yeah, reached was... a certain age, Daniel. You've become Redknapp. Yeah. yeah. Uh... I, they, I, and then, then what happens with Spurs? I mean, obviously, there was a sort of emotion of, like, first home game under Ange and all of that. And that, that may well have made a difference because the atmosphere was sort of bigger than I think is normally the case at whatever they call the stadium. But, I mean, he's the one, isn't he, uh, amongst the leading teams that is not the technocrat and is a sort of personality and more like the archetypal sort of leader. But he's not a bastard leader. He just seems like a nice bloke. I think I said it on the last yes. pod. I'd quite like to have a pint with him, which is not what I'd say about most of the managers. I said to a mate ages ago when he was at Celtic, it won't be him as the next United manager because he won't have done enough. But at some point, I'd die. He, he has the personality and the integrity that, we, that you would like, I think. But uh, yeah, and he's the most figure similar to Klopp. I'm sure he does plenty. He's not just vibes. I'm sure he does plenty of this is how you play. But more or less, you do play like this in every situation, it feels like. that, And that's that's quite Klopp-like as well, I think. By the way, what we have... Did you think United should have had two penalties? This isn't why we lost, obviously. We lost because we... No, it's not why we lost, but it it doesn't half worry. I mean, I tweet stuff out like this and then I'm like, I I double-check myself because I'm like, I sound like a red-tinted idiot. But I I can't help but think the hysterical reaction to last week's non-penalty for Wolves didn't impact on how... Well, there were two, weren't there? One, the handball. That's not... It wasn't exactly natural... 
and the then hand, they, the hand they, is in, it's, it's in the air. Like to me, like it doesn't. Obviously, if you're like this, then you'd say, "All right, you're trying to." But your hand's here, and the ball hits it. It's a shot. Yeah. I don't. So it, obviously, it depends how you define. But according to the things that generally categorise what is a penalty, hand in that natural, hand in natural, natural motion. position, and it's up, not down. It's not even here. It's here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I know. It didn't move towards the ball, which is the one thing, because the, the penalty that was given in the, the World Cup final today, where you needed you needed a snickometer, didn't you, to work out whether it actually brushed her fingers or not. But what if he was slow to move? Yeah, well... What if the shot was away from Galnacho got the shot away too quickly for him to move? That's not a good standard. Um, I know. And, and he blocked I, a goal bad shot as well, which is, yeah. It, that, and then the other one was Pelletri's heels getting clipped and, like, whether that was accidental or not. What? Yeah, yeah I mean... And there was like, contact, so, right? Yeah, like, so the first one, the first one, that is ultimately a matter of judgment. I don't, I don't understand how, relative to what we see happen in football, what this, that's not a penalty. I mean, I, I don't mind if it isn't, but you do need to then redraft the laws, but... I feel like that's the sort of thing that I would expect to get given more often than not. And I don't yeah. wouldn't be that bothered if it got given against us. The police one looked like to me like a matter of fact. That that's a foul. We've we've all seen it. That's a foul. I and I don't know how you wouldn't look at that again and think that's a foul. But No, oh, and and look, he, he cut across the player in order to get draw that foul. But it's still a foul, isn't it? Which uh, is why which is why Bruno, like, he sounds like a sour bastard. And, like, it sort of pisses me off a bit seeing people who support other teams taking the piss out of him. Because I think that fundamentally he seems like quite a sound bloke. I and, thought it was fine what he said. And, <laughs> I'll wait for the apology. Yeah, but, but he had to do it. Not because he was... He, he was still pissed off with himself for missing that chance. It wasn't like he wasn't... He didn't recognise that. But The header, yeah. He, the narrative went on for days about this this goal, and so he had to then draw attention to the, the penalty not given because the conversation needs to change because of all the anyway we're all swayed by media. It would be ridiculous to assume the refs are not. So they they definitely are because PGMOL their bosses are they react. I mean they redrafted the fucking bar laws last season after Klopp made a fuss about it, or the season before. The season before Klopp made a fuss about. Like these marginal changes or the marginal decisions where VAR was getting involved and being very technocratic about it. They, they, were, they were saying the bar to change was zero, so they were just going to look at each each incident on its merits and decide whether it was a penalty, even if it's like marginal handball or tiny fractional clip or whatever they were going to decide. And yeah, it got a lot of penalties. Klopp came out and said, this isn't right. And the PGRML basically said, yeah, you're right. And you know, got three penalties last season as a result. And I think the two things are very much tied together. And Ten Hag doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to play that game of putting pressure. He's never said anything about it, basically. Yeah. And and as a result, we had a basically a week's worth of coverage of hysterical walls were robbed of a uh, I mean, penalty. in a way, I can see what I thought was penalty. They, they, but, but just it's the, the, the talking about it, like it does, you do feel over like decades of watching United that Weird, like, I don't, obviously, I don't think it's Ben, but weird panics, moral panics come about of things that involve United. Wayne Rooney is the only player in literally the history of football 
definitely English football, to be suspended for swearing into a camera. What? Yeah. What the hell is that? Fucking what? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just insane. Insane behaviour. Like, and that's an example of, of weird stuff that go that goes on. Um, well, he's also one of the only players ever to get suspended from competitive games because of a red card in, red, a, in a friendly. friendly. Yeah, yeah. He just uh, made that roll up. Yeah, yeah. And it only, yeah. And it only, it only happened the once. So... There's, there's massive pressure on these referees, which is why, much as I love dissent in all its forms, I do have to like get behind the uh, the new the new laws that are booking players for that because having spent a bit of time talking to some grassroots referees, this was something that I knew. Obviously, like I'm not pretending that like this this was a re- revelatory for me, but actually speaking to some of these guys made me think actually there's something significantly more important going on here than my love of descend away all about it. i mean we all like it but the, the stories that these guys had to tell about the stuff that goes on every week the fact that they're just running out of refs that is going to mean games can't get played and that's just yeah, yeah. as well so i, I I'm, I'm pleased about this one but yeah i, I don't There's think a, it's a really excellent episode of the great cricketer podcast in which faf de Plessis, the south african sort of alpha batter <laughs> talks about the verbals that go on, which, of course, like all the commentators here on the Mike stump camp, but we don't get to very often. And the the absolute vitriolic abuse and roast battle style abuse that they give each other, which is wonderful. I'd kind of like to hear it. I don't imagine footballers are that clever, really, in their abuse of the ref. You'll hear, you'll hear some good lines. If you, I mean, you will. I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely certain that. There is the one thing, the football is one of the things that very, very many of them are good at is mouth because they grow up in environments that engender that where you become well-trained in that and you have to, you don't have to be good at giving it and taking it to progress, but it probably helps. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure they hear a lot of rubbish as well. And I mean, that whole, like the John Terry racism round where, with him and Anton Ferdinand, like yeah, some of the stuff they were saying to each other was just obviously more- illegal. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. But like, aside from the racism, yeah, it didn't it didn't stand up well in other in aspects of God. These guys that have actually got some any chat whatsoever. But yeah, I'm no, sure no. that like I'm sure that the sh- these guys give each other all manner of shit, and they get good at giving it. So yeah, I, I would I would love to have a button where I could have the mic the ref cam or the ref mic and unfortunately we'll never get that because of course that would be out in the public domain and we'd realise how foul mouthed most of it is well they uh, might tell the ref when Arsenal played a Millwall it's on YouTube it's brilliant and Tony Adams was furious that like the players didn't know I don't think the Arsenal players yeah. that happened um, yeah. and obviously he came he was doing most of the talking to the referee it's, it's on YouTube it's very good but ref yeah I mean, it's one of those things where as long as the interaction with players and refs is amusing, you sort of don't mind it that much. But the problem is the real world consequences where other people are able to therefore control their behaviour when it comes yeah, to the, yeah. ways they, the ways they treat refs. When ultimately in the Premier League, refs are safe. Like, what's well, not that because there's security. Whereas outside Whereas of that, on the Sunday leagues, yeah, yeah. Referees, and, referees and, are not safe and all. No, no, it's very, it's very true. They're not, yeah. And and there was a, there was good. I think it was on the 
on the Price of Football podcast where they had there's an association of refs of of lower leagues where they had an interview with one of the guys there and you know it, it's when you say not safe literally not safe refs no, no, getting I, attacked yeah but then yeah it's very easy for us to sit here and moralise if you're like next to Mike Dean at some point I mean obviously he's, he's retired but whoever it might be I, I feel sure that I would struggle to contain my enthusiasm at certain points if I was playing professional football and I was encountering these referees all right, so United have got... We don't have a midweek game, right? Forrest is on next when, next Saturday or next Sunday. Yeah, that's right. One of yeah. the two. Yeah, it's got, he's got a week then in order Saturday. He's got a week to go fix it. And I suspect it's going to be... It's got to be some changes. I, I don't think we're going to see Hoyland back, although he is, he is training. We've seen pictures of him actually having contact. So on the uh, grass, he can't be far away. On the grass, touching grass, is he? On the, on the yeah. grass, yeah, yeah. I think he's got to get Rashford over to the left. I, 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 he's, he's got to, yeah. I, Even I, if that means, means putting Sancho down the middle or Martial down the middle. Maybe this will be Martial's season. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't bear to see him. I, I, I'm absolutely, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see him because, and I think Ten Hag sees this as well. He didn't bring on yesterday. And the reason I think he didn't bring on. It's partly because he wants to send a message to the board that I'm not using this guy really, um, although he had used him in the previous game. But also, he want, he's trying to move forward, and McTee is not really part of United moving forward, and he's trying to pursue a different way. And so, I don't, yeah. th- I don't, I don't know. Like, maybe he will, maybe he would come in. But I think Forrest at home, I think he might give it another. If United play a first half against Forest, like they played it for the first half against Tottenham, you would think that they would win that game. Yeah. So I don't. I oh, don't I'm th- sure he's got to give Mount more time. He's he's got to. That's like two games is not enough for him and Casemiro to to form the right partnership. And it, and that, there were hints against Spurs that Mount is is picking at that sort of double, like rather than being a double eight, being a. He's somewhere between the two of them, which is the role he's got to play in order for United to to uh, be a functional team in midfield. So it, there I were think, signs there. Yeah, I mean, also, Garnacho, the wide players just have to get better. And if you move Rashford out there, then you will stop giving the ball away probably quite as often yeah. if, he, if he's in the mood. And just having a centre-forward who can hold the ball. I mean, how, how far away do we think we are from, from this? Oh, I mean, it looks like it's the Arsenal game. So, 3rd of September is the one they're targeting for Hoyland to, to return. I hope... I mean, you, it also because you hope... You get to these situations and sometimes managers want to be all, like, clever with it and they keep their new signing on the bench to ease him in. Whereas sometimes... I mean, I don't know if Hoyland is this player. You put players in and they're just, like... I'd just business, chuck him like, in there. They're on the yeah. buzz. Yeah, like Van Nistelrooy and Rooney on their debut. Yeah. It's Dwight York put them in the team I, one thing we don't know is how much of a pre-season he had I mean he had a small back injury did he get any games in pre-season I actually don't know I, I thought I thought whether. that he did but I mean if he if he's training now then I guess at some point he's going to get to the, the level they don't they're not going to put him in until he's a level of match fitness presumably yeah yeah so there's there's options there he pulled Wan-Bissaka off or substituted Wan-Pazeka, I should say, 
I'm not trying to say any salacious gossip there. Fidelo, that's another live option, isn't it? I mean, like, neither of them are perfect, as we've spoken about so many times. Uh, uh, again, it's this kind of, we'll cycle through these imperfect players to see if one of them produces something better. Then convince sure. ourselves that it's one, and then eventually yeah. you'll be like, actually, I was wrong, it was it, it's not him, it's him. I think that one Bissaka's probably, across the two games, maybe been United's best outfield player, and none has probably been the best. And he has yeah. a couple of unbelievable passes on Saturday. With like the one that he hit to the left, to the left wing, almost could well have yielded a goal with some better decision making. But as the team improves, I mean, we hope it will. Having him is going to be a very significant asset, and he's not—he's not going to pussy it either. And so he is a yeah. breath. He is a breath of fresh air. So um, that was a reason to be slightly happier than previously. I mean, it's. But yeah, yeah, I think Wan-Bissaka's one, one yeah. played well, so I'd probably keep him in because my hope is that he can, over the season, get good enough going forward and taking the ball off the keeper such that you'd prefer him to Dallo because Dallo doesn't look like he's ever going to get particularly useful at defending. He's not all that going forward, so... No, well, his numbers be, don't show that he's particularly good either, yeah. The more you play and, and what do you think of Luke Shaw? Because I was kind of worried about his two performances so far. He, he looks like he's in Luke Shaw needs competition mode. So like, get Tyrell Malassia back fit and in the team for a game just to give Shaw the kick up his uh, rather substantial backside that he needs. Yeah, he hasn't been good. Varane's been good though, quite good over the two games yeah. as well. I guess Martinez hasn't started the season well. Casemiro hasn't. No. So no. They are. I, I don't believe Casemiro's like old yet, but he looks old when he's overwhelmed like that and doesn't look quite sharp. It, he's it makes old. him look old, but he's a year younger than Kevin De Bruyne. So he got old when he got that suspension. He suddenly aged over that second suspension, and he hasn't really been any use since then. I guess if you if you had a again, it's so ludicrous, but if you had Kobe Bayou and you played him as well. Then you played Bruno as the third midfield player. You would then have the option of Mount on the right if you wanted it also. Then if you've got two players that can do a bit of six and a bit of eight, Casemiro and Mainu and Bruno in front of that, you should have solidity and enterprise going forward. So that looks, that looks like a midfield that might work if we don't get anyone in. And I actually think that probably is one we would see before too long because I don't think he's going to want to drop drop going to want to drop Casemiro. Like you have to, you think very, especially he signed him on a five-year contract. So, which there's a hit that you sort of accept that you're going to take there, that you need a, a player in order now. to get it's the price of getting him. Yeah, was to give him that security. Was to give him like yeah. three years at the end where you might not want him, but. You had to get him for everything that he brought because he was also the best player you could get for the money that you had at the time. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I do. Like, people bitching about that. Now they're going with a 5 contract. Like, shut up. That's, like, that's, no, that's not how it works. I, I so, think what, what, one thing United haven't done so far is exploit the Saudi the Saudi Pro League money. and which Well, I, I suppose we got rid of Alex Tellez there for a couple of million quid or something. But I imagine that in two years' time, Casemiro to to to, to Saudi might well be a live option. <laughs> I'm, I'm or the best gonna, option. I'm, I'm not going to prejudge him. Yeah, I mean, I, I I understand the theory, however. But I don't... I, I, yeah, it's not, he's, not, he's not finished, but he does... 
he does need some help. And that is either, I mean, yeah, that's either Manu really or another player. I can't, he, he doesn't want to play McTominay, but he might feel that when we play Arsenal, he has to if he hasn't got a player in. Yeah, well, we'll see whether Murtagh and team are too busy trying to reintegrate Mason Greenwood against all their hostiles to yeah, actually if, celebrate because they haven't done very well at doing that so far. If you consider domestic abuse charities as hostile to you, perhaps you have to wonder, you might, if it's really you who is in fact hostile, it's fucking <laughs> yeah. unbelievable. It, it, like, what? I know. I mean, it's just beyond disgusting. Yeah. 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 Just. I, I, I mean, I, it was actually to the point where I actually think that's a resignation issue for a real leader to. I mean, if you if you think I made this point in the last pod as well, if you think that the CEO of NatWest or the chairwoman had to go because of some memo that said Nigel Farage's politics isn't our politics, shock. Like actually drawing up lists of charities that support battered women as hostiles, just fuck off, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I agree. Like, how can you lead that? How can you lead an organisation also? Like, yeah, when you. If, if they do end up having to go back on this, where you make that decision, you get forced into that U-turn, which like, you're... Yeah. Because it's a moral issue. And if, you're, if you get yeah. that moral issue so wrong, you're not fit yeah. to be in charge of that institution. And if it's a moral issue, it's also a commercial issue. Yeah. And then that's the thing that will change them if, the, if it's clear that the association will, with sponsors would not go down well. And if I was Adidas or Tezos or, or Team Viewer. Or is it Tezos? So, I, is it Tezos? I, sorry, I thought it was Tezos. Oh, maybe it's Tezos. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking of those probably those things that came with Walker's crisps, Tezos. I don't know. But it's yeah, Tezos. Yeah, no, I guess like, as soon as you said Tezos, I was like, yeah, you must be right. I can't read. No, I definitely I have zero level of confidence in my pronunciation there. So, but yeah, I would not want I would not want to be associated with those images and those that audio if I was those brands. Much like when brands fled Twitter when the Nazis took over, whenever that was, six months ago or whatever it was. I, they, yeah, it may be harder for some of these brands to, to opt out because they have contracts with United, but I'd certainly be having a conversation and that is the thing that will move because if, they, if they're thinking, well, we've got a hundred million pound asset here at current market rates, they don't have that asset if it's tossed if he is toxic, it's 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 sunk, it's sunk, uh, and uh, you know then are really so paying up his contract is eight million quid. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things. And it doesn't. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but it felt like it's not even a commercial issue. This it's a football issue. It's the manager. It's the manager. The manager wants him. It's, it's yeah. like, like we can blame the dickheads to let him, but. The manager ultimately is the guy that said yes. If he said no, he'd be gone. And a hundred percent, of course. And that yes. makes it that makes it really like it's rude. Even though it's a moral issue, it's, it's, a, it's a football issue. It's not the commercial is this other thing because ten us think that. I guess they're sort of thinking, well, if we get him back, we'll be better at football, and that will improve the cop, the commercials. And but I mean, it's an, a, a bizarre amount of faith to put in someone who hasn't played in so long who hasn't, when he did play, although a brilliant player, showed any kind of inclination to put in the kinds of shifts that you want a player 
to have. Maybe were he to come back, I can't, like, I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about Mason Green or what as, as a United player. Fuck that. No. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I, I suspect we'll get some movement on that this week. I'd be shocked if we don't. And I think it will be a U-turn. And But that doesn't show any kind of leadership on, on behalf of United at all. Quite the opposite, as you as you make out. I, I think they'll U-turn because they'll, they'll have got a lot of pressure because they'll have tested the waters. They have all their social media sentim- sentiment trackers. And that is the thing that matters even more than, say, print these days for them. And uh, just show how craven they are that this was never a moral issue. They never thought once. I mean, if you read that statement, still, again, one of the worst statements I've ever seen, ever, from a corporation that cobbled that together in some disgusting... I mean, they'd have come up with something better if they'd said, hey, chat GBT, how can we get away with bringing a rapist back into the team? They'd have got a better answer than that. It was horrendous leadership from United all round. Yeah. What a way to end the pod. Oh. All right, Mr. Happy. <laughs> Four backers. Patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod. We're going to talk about the Women's World Cup final, which for me was three in the morning. Oh. Uh, which was good stuff. Enjoyed that. And everyone else, thank you very much. We'll speak to you next time. Peace. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. All right, backers, thanks very much for your support. We're going to talk about the Women's World Cup final, which was Spain 1, England 0 in the end. The wait goes on, Daniel, for a major international England team to, to win a World Cup. So I, uh, I, I was chatting to my dad who lives in Australia and I was saying, it may be too late. It's getting too late. We're running out of time quickly. Like, how, how are the futsal team doing these days? Yeah, it was disappointing. Yeah, it was. I mean, it looked like so many games involving England and Spain or English and Spanish opposition really where Spain just knew a little bit too much for England. Their angles were a bit too good, their touches and the movement. England obviously were missing some massive players.